could just go, okay, you heard the message. Why do we need somebody to get up here and explain somebody else's somebody's message to you? But uh, we're here in Acts. Uh, Paul is on his way to get back to Jerusalem because he wants to get there by Pentecost and he has some money he's been collecting uh, from the Gentile churches, the Gentile Christians for the Jewish Christians back in Jerusalem. There's all kinds of economic hardship going on. So he's gathering that money. He's in a hurry to get back there uh, to do all that. And he's visiting some places as he's heading back there. Uh, and the first, uh, first few ver- uh, verses of chapter 20 tell us the places he visits and some people that were with him. And then it's this fascinating story. Uh, chapter 20, verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers. This is in the city of Troas to share the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them. And since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. You think I speak long. The upstairs, that wasn't that funny. The upstairs room where we met was lighted with many flickering lamps. As Paul spoke on and on, this is Luke being sarcastic. I have said through enough of that guy's talks. He just keeps going. He won't shut up. Uh, a young man named Eutychus, sitting on the windowsill, became very drowsy. Finally, he fell sound asleep and dropped three stories to his death below. Uh-oh. <laughs> Paul went down, bent over him, and took him into his arms. Don't worry, he said, he's alive. Brings him back to life. Then they all went back upstairs, shared the Lord's Supper, and ate together. And Paul continued talking to them until dawn. And then he left. Meanwhile, the young man was taken home until unhurt. And everyone's great relief. I look at that and go, that's a crazy story of a guy who's in church. And Paul, you know, I'm not going to see these guys again. And these new churches got started. So I'm only going to be here a little bit. So we're going to just go and go and go. This guy gets drowsy and falls asleep. And here on Father's Day, if you guys want to be in the spirit of Eutychus today, especially you men, if you want to just take a nap right now, good. just don't fall out of your chair and hit your head. Um, we don't want to have anybody uh, have, to, have to revive somebody or that kind of stuff. Uh, but it's past midnight, and Eutychus is trying to stay awake, but he just can't. He just can't. He's really hard. Here's the crazy thing, but he falls to his death outside. You know what Eutychus's name actually means in the Greek language? Lucky. This is kind of crazy. The lucky guy, three stories up, falls down. Paul revives him. And what's crazy about this is they get him back to life. If that happens here in church, if somebody here has a major medical problem and they like die or unconscious or something, we're going to pray for him. We're going to get him revived. Then we're going to pray and everybody's going to go home. Oh, no, no. Dead, back to life. Let's keep going. That's awesome. Um, and then it tells us the next few verses that he, the different cities he was going to where he was trying to get. And then he knows uh, that if he goes to Ephesus, that will not be a short visit. So he said, I can't go to Ephesus. He sails by Ephesus, lands on the beach at a place that's like 30 miles away, Miletus, and sends word to the leadership team at the churches in Ephesus, get here. I got some things I want to tell you, but I can't come there. If I show up there, I got to get to Jerusalem with this money. And I want to get there by Pentecost and all that. And, and then what uh, Grant just read for us is a boardroom. It's not. It's it's leadership lessons not on a board not in a boardroom, but at the beach. Not with PowerPoint and media stuff and all kind. I mean, this is hot dogs and beverages and s'mores. Sitting on the beach, talking to these people, uh, uh, to the leadership team there, and it's fascinating here today that we are here on Father's Day, because I want to talk to you today about how to be a great leader. 
Not all the fancy schmancy stuff in a book and all the 15 points in a book here. And Paul doesn't really even outline it as point one, point two, point three. He just has a conversation with them, but some stuff emerges out of here. It's going to be so helpful for you. And whether you are a, a pastor or a plumber or a principal or a policeman or a pop <laughs> or a dad or a mom, all this stuff is going to apply to you. Because no, And no matter if you're at the top and you're, you're the leader of something, or maybe you're in mid-level leadership where, you know, I got people bossing me around, but I have some people. You're going to learn great stuff here. And then some of you are thinking, I wish I could be a leader because the people that are leading this thing are just a... Yeah, you know what that's like, right? You've been in those organizations. Uh, what do you do when... It's very easy when you're in an organization of any kind, whether you're a kid in a family or you are in a company of some kind or in a church or in a small group... It's very easy to think, well, what they should do there if I was in charge, whatever here. And I want to tell you, and it's really easy today in our culture because <laughs> I don't know what's happened in America. It feels like all the leaders went, we're done. I mean, and I don't care what party you're part of. I think we're all a hot mess. They're all kind of Looney Tunes nuts, all of them. And so here's the deal. If we're going to change this as followers of Christ, don't sit there and scream and yell and post about, where's all their leaders here? Be a leader. Let's be the ones that go, we, we're gonna, when, when we're in the workplace, in our families, wherever we're at, we're going to lead this way. This will flip the script for some people and they'll go, you should be in charge of things here. Paul starts off, and we're going to lay, lay this out here, how to be a great leader kind of falls into two major categories, who we are and what we do. The who we are is all about character and about uh, some guys written books of character and chemistry, how you get along with people and your character, your integrity. And he starts there talking about that. He talks about there in verse uh, 19. Done the Lord's work humbly with tears in the midst of opposition. That's verse 19. So you got a bunch of things to write down here. You got uh, the uh, note sheet that's there on the program the number one thing he starts with about how you serve and be a great leader is not what you'd expect to hear in that culture. It's become kind of a cool buzzword today, uh, humility and servant leadership and all that kind of stuff. Mm, humility is what he starts with. The Roman Greek world would have thought that's dumb. The people that are humble, the people at the bottom, you, you rise up, you got the place there. And it's fascinating. Jesus, uh, one time with his disciples, they're all trying to get to the top and try to get next to Jesus. And who's going to be the top? He says, you know how it works in the world you live in, right? The Jewish world, the Greek world, the Roman world. Everybody clamors for the top, for the power, positions, perks, and privileges. And then he says four words, not so with you. In fact, the greatest among you will be the ones. Here's my definition of humility. It's fighting for the back of the line, fighting for the, the, the bottom, not fighting for the top. Doing things that nobody else wants to do. And humility is not thinking less of yourself. That's the silly thing about, oh, I'm terrible. I'm not good at anything. It's like knowing, no, I know what I'm good at. I know my position is. I know all this kind of stuff. But like, no matter if I'm at the top, the middle, or even I'm going to be at the bottom. I'm not fighting for the top. So in whatever you're doing, just that's how you serve. Paul says, I serve humbly. He talks about that. I, they make tents. As the guy leading these churches, spreading the gospel, I worked with my own hands, serving you to help take care of your needs when how things worked back then with guys that went around the Jewish, Greek, and Roman world, 
you showed up in a place, you know what happened is you met their needs. You, you, you have to pay for this. There were fees and all that kind of stuff. So humility. He also says he served with tears. Number two is uh, that the great character trait of leadership is you care about people. See, you don't have tears for things you don't care about. I can think of all kinds of things that happen in the world that you guys get all freaked about that I, and things that I get freaked out about that you don't get freaked out about. You only have tears when you really care. So he says he's talking about tears. He's not saying, well, you got to cry a lot as a leader. He's talking about the idea of passion and compassion and caring for people. And this is important for you that you don't just care about the job that you do and the tasks you do. It's for the people that you do it for. Super important in the church world. Pastors, worship leaders, we don't do it because we like to be up on the stage. Hopefully. But I want to tell you, even if you work in a, in, a, in a job where you feel like, well, I just do spreadsheets and I'm back in the back, assembly line, mindless kind of work, understand that everything I do here is to help somebody. Now, I might not be in the front lines of right there passing this product off to them, to this mom, to this dad. I'm not there. Whatever it might be, this website that I'm doing. But if you bottom line understand the reason we do this, if you're going to be a great leader, is to go, I'm not here just to do a job. I'm here to serve people. And help meet people's needs because I care about people. Number three, he, uh, he says that I endured opposition and trials. The third thing you got to have if you're going to be a great leader is determination. Anybody could lead when it's easy. When things are great, anybody could do that. Leadership is seen, great leaders are seen when it gets difficult. Do they just go running off for the next easy gig, the next easy thing, because it's just too difficult, too hard? It's the idea of determination. And the, 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 the word the Bible uses a lot for this is the idea of perseverance. It's the idea that I keep going even when it's difficult. Because I'm serving God, I'm humble, and I care about these people, I'm going to have the determination to go, no matter what, I'm going to keep going with this. Even if everybody's against me, and Paul's story is like, man, I got beat up. I got thrown in jail. I got left for dead a couple times. Then no matter what, it's, it's that idea of to be a great leader, you have to have an idea of no matter what happens here circumstantially, I'm not going anywhere. In my marriage, with my children, I'm not running when she becomes, ugh. Or my kids start freaking out. I'm, I'm the dad. I'm not going anywhere. There's a determination. I got all that. It also says in verse 20, uh, he said, I never shrank back from telling what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. Number four is you've got to have courage to be a great leader. You've got to care about people, humility. You have determination and perseverance. But it means that even when people don't like me, I'm going to tell them, and it's fascinating. You see, in my Bible, it's underlined. Verse 20, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear. Not what you wanted to hear. This is important for us in, in no matter if you're in a Christian company kind of a thing at a school, or perhaps you're in a job where, like, I'm, I work for the city of San Diego, or I build websites or, or whatever it, it might be. 
as a leader, the, the big principle here is, is, is to tell people what they to do and say what's needed, not just what gets you pats on the back and what's wanted. Leaders recognize there's bigger things going on than just what you feel like just meeting people's needs. Tell them what we, they need to hear, not what they always want to hear. Um, from time to time here, some of you, maybe none of you here that are here today at this particular service, maybe some people coming tomorrow, I don't know, will send me, will, will kind of send me some notes or talk to me afterwards. And I always feel like if I don't get that once in a while, then all I'm doing is just kind of tickling your ears and just making you feel good. It's not my job to make you feel good. Now, I hope you do. I'm not trying to make you mad. But on my whole deal is like at the end of the day, I'm trying to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And so that's, that's, what, uh, that's, that's true in the business world. It's true in the church world. Um, verse 21. Verse 21, he says, I have had one message. I have that word one underlined in my Bible Number, number five, the fifth great quality of a leader is the idea of focus. That in your company, and this is again, we're going to talk about the centrality of the message of Christ for church, but to widen this out to you as parents, to you working in, the, in jobs out in the, what they call the secular marketplace, whatever that might mean, at some point you have to decide what's, what's our one thing. What's the thing that we actually do here? And all kinds of businesses get themselves in trouble because they forget the one thing that they're all about and they start getting bored and start veering off. And all, like, no, what's the one thing we're supposed to do? And once you get that, it's like the guy Curly and maybe that old school movie with Billy Crystal, City Slickers. And they said, dude, here's the question. What's the one thing? He said, once you get the one thing, everything else will fall into line. That'll be true in your company. That'll be true in your family. Be true here in this church. In the midst of all the mess, guys, our one message right now is Paul's message, is that the Jesus is central and the Bible is final. That Jesus is who you need to know. Now, we're going to talk about finances and talk about conflict resolution and mental health. We're going to talk about how to do things with parenting better. We want to help and equip you for all that. But if you forget everything else, the one thing that's above everything here. It's right in the middle of everything we do is Jesus. And you got to know him, follow him and love him. And as you do that, our whole deal here is all kinds of people discovering and following. Yeah, not you and not me and not discovering and following your purpose and passion for your life. All kinds of people shipwreck their lives doing that nonsense. You make Jesus central to everything you are and do. And that's true for us even as a church. What our friends and neighbors need to see and hear right now is Jesus. That putting your faith in everybody, no matter if you're a church person, brand new to this, or been at it a long time, every single person in the world puts their faith in someone or something what Paul tells the early Christians all over Asia and Greece and Rome and all that is the one thing who's worth it, the one person who's worth it is Jesus. Everything else, even if it helps you and he makes you feel good, it ultimately is going to leave you kind of like, well, that didn't work. Let me just chat with you parents for a second here. So kids, you guys can listen into this. 
Uh, I heard a guy back in Florida talk about this years ago, and I thought it was so good. So if I've said it before, you might have already heard me say it before. Just You can just listen along and smile and nod. Parents, do you want your kids to be successful and have a great life? Anybody? I get parents, right? It's not a trick question, right? That's what we want for our kids. And the way our culture tells us to do that in a lot of different ways is all kinds of different pathways and stuff like that. But the world that they live in once they get into school is usually kind of focuses on two big areas, academics and athletics. Academics and athletics. And there is, if they get really focused on that, uh, like, like, like the athletic world, let's just use that as an analogy. They really focus on that. They, they might make one of the high school teams, junior varsity or varsity. And they might like successful and feel good about themselves. The odds are that they're going to ever make a college team <laughs> is, is, goes way down once they get out of high school. And the odds that they're going to get a scholarship for it are even smaller. And then the odds that they're ever going to make money at this, playing this professionally and make a bunch of money at it, no matter what you think about how awesome your child is at basketball, baseball, drama, dance, whatever it is, it's impossible for them. That's not going to happen for them. But there is a 100% chance that your kids are going to heaven or hell. And we probably ought to keep that in mind in terms of how busy we keep them with everything else. And I, and I watch this. I don't think you guys do this because you're here on the weekend services. But we've got to be really careful. Like if, if every single time, if every single time church is like the second or third priority for you, the kids are going to know, well, that's where God fits. If I don't have anything else going on in my life, we'll, we'll, we'll put God in there. And you send a message for that. Now, I'm not, look, be careful here. I'm not saying you should never skip church because I get it. That's kind of dumb. I grew up in a church kind of like that. And my family, never mind. I got therapy and stuff like that that I need for that. And we went to church five times a week and whether you were sick or whatever. Um, so you gotta be careful. It's not legalistic, like never skip church for anything. I'm just telling you, make sure you're making God and Jesus a priority. And even in terms of your church involvement here, getting involved in our youth group stuff here at camps, uh, what, what you do with them as you talk with them, uh, when, you, when you say goodnight to them, all, all those kind of things, just keep that in mind. I got to go. In verses 22 to 27, Grant already read it for us, um, but he talks about there, I don't, know what, I don't know what waits for me, but God tells me it's persecution, trouble, jails, imprisonment, and really the rest of the book of Acts is, is verse 22. The rest of the book of Acts is all about Paul getting to city and city. After city, he goes to this trials and difficulty, and the whole thing ends up he's in Rome, and we don't even hear what happens until we know from church history that he gets executed in Rome for being a Christian. But he goes on to say in verse 24, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. So number six is to be a great leader, do your job and finish your job. And some of you think, well, I'll do my job great when I get to be at that next level. No, no, right now, wherever you're at, if you're at the bottom right now, or you're in the middle part of something, it's finish the work and get it all the way done. And, and Paul says, that's what I've done here. I, I didn't just, when it got difficult or whatever, I was hearing a guy tell me um, a story, a, 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 a thing about this. He was going to get like a big patio cover, something built in his backyard, and it was expensive, so he didn't do it. But then the economy went in the toilet several years ago, 
And a guy was desperate for work, and so he goes, well, I can probably do it now because the guy gave him a much better deal because he just needed to keep his guys busy. So he did work. He said, this guy did great work. I mean, it's fantastic work. And he got it all done. He goes, I was so pleased with it and all that stuff. And then he was done, and I'd written the check. And he said, but I have another buddy who's one of those guys who works for a major construction company. He's just a good friend over at my house. Not to look at the work, just hanging out, having dinner or something like that with the family. And he said he was there. And I was telling him about, look at this patio thing. Look what he did and awesome and all that stuff. But you know what the guy hadn't done? He hadn't cleaned up when he was done. And the guy who's telling the struggle, I didn't care about that. It gave me a great deal, whatever. What he didn't realize by not finishing that work, he lost out on millions of dollars that he would have got from this other guy, my buddy's friend, who said, I would have hired. I was looking for guys. I got massive projects that I'm doing. He'd have done them all. Finish the work. Don't just go halfway. Get all the way done. And do a great job. And then uh, in John 17, verse 4, we're not going to turn there, but Jesus says uh, it's the prayer he prays in the upper room before he goes out to be executed or be be, uh, arrested and eventually executed. He says, God, I've brought you glory here on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. That's your whole deal is do your job and then do your job and finish your job. And here's the important thing here too. Some of you need to hear this. Um, do your job. What's God called you to do? And for those of you that are more like, I got to reach my potential and this person and that, I, mm, stop. God's given you an assignment. Do that really well. And sometimes with those of you that have younger children right now, there's some things that God's not going to give you an assignment for right now because your primary assignment is you have children right now, young children at home that are running your life like crazy. You might not be able to do everything that you want to do someday. Do your assignment, and then be really, really, really careful about people like me from time to time in our zeal for the cause of Christ and all that that try to sign you up for 18 things. No, what's your assignment? Now, there's some assignments here. There's some things. We need some help on teams here with various things, so I'm not trying to tell you what that should or shouldn't be on. We need some help in the in the tech room back there. You can't even see them because it's all windowed off back there. In the booth back there, we need some people to join some of those teams. If you're new here, looking for a place to serve, we need some help there. We need help with hosts, people that are ushers, name tags, get communion ready, get the coffee ready, all that kind of stuff and more. So if you're looking for a place to serve, that might be a thing to jump into. But I'm just telling you, it's just an option there. Don't let anybody put that on you and say, that's what you must do in order to be a good Christian. You have to do it my way because that's their assignment, not always necessarily yours. And the motivation for it, I love it. Paul says, my life is worth nothing unless I do what Jesus assigned me. You're going to have this motivation to be, to persevere and have courage and finish your job. Not by trying to climb the ladder and so everybody else around you like, I just want Jesus to be pleased with me. Jesus gave me, the, gave me this work to do, gave me some stuff to do here. I just want to make sure I do that and do that really, really well. That's not the only things. The things that emerge out of what Paul says, this uh, leadership lessons on a beach for our character. Who we should be as leaders, the character we should have as leaders. And then he moves into verses 28 to 30, what we do. And in verse uh, 28, it says, So guard yourselves and God's people, feed and shepherd God's flock. God's appointed you and given you the task of being leaders there. Uh, Frequently, our scriptures are going to use the analogy 
for leadership, whether you're leading as a dad, a mom, in a company you own, in the, in the secular workplace, in the nonprofit workplace, they're going to, the scripture can use this analogy frequently of we're like shepherds for sheep. Jesus said, I'm the great shepherd. He said, I've come, I have a great flock and I, all that. So there's some verses on the inside of your program today. It's a thing called intersect. That's several verses there that talk about leadership principles that we get from watching shepherds. And watching how shepherds hang out with sheep and how they take care of sheep, I want to encourage you, take those this week. Some of them are longer. And don't just look at what it says. Try to dive into, okay, hmm, how would that apply to me and how I'm leading when he talks about the various uh, principles there um, in those various verses. I'm going to give you four words here. I'm going to put the first two up first and then the second two. When it comes to being a good shepherd, what we do is we guide and guard if we're leaders. We guide and guard. Did that come up there? Yeah, we guide and guard. We guide and guard, so write that down. And then the second thing we do, it's not second thing, but it's like the next little alliterated phrase here is lead or is feed and lead. He says, hey, hey, take care of that flock. Feed them. What that means for you and for me is everybody you're going to lead has basic needs that they have. Physical needs, mental needs, emotional needs. If you're a great leader, meet those needs. Make sure your people are taken care of. The, the job of a sheep is not to feed the shepherd. The job of the shepherd is to say, let's make sure we take care of these sheep and make sure that they're, that they're being taken care of. So we feed them. And he also talks about the idea of, of guiding them because sheep need to be guided. Otherwise, they'll wander off off a cliff or get stuck in the river or something like that. So guide them. But he says here, guard the flock that God's entrusted to you. And he talks about the idea of watch out, guard the flock, and everybody, we, we don't hang around shepherds anymore, so we don't see this anymore. But in a shepherd world, you have to guard the flock from the wolves out there. There's external things out there in the culture that are coming for your kids. There's weird stuff out there in the media stuff that's coming for, that's just out there. D- dangerous doctrine, destructive people, all kinds of stuff out there. So you have to watch out for external enemies, but you know who you also have to watch out for? Paul says it here. Watch out because some of those enemies that are coming to get you are not going to come from outside. They're going to come from, and he has the, these are people that are leading the church at Ephesus. He says, some of you fools are going to do this. Some of you standing right here on the beach who've been entrusted with the mission of caring for God's people are going to rise up and distort the doctrine, lead people astray so you can divide the church and get your own because you want your own little thing over there because you want to be in charge or whatever. He says, because you got to watch out for that, the divisiveness and disputes over doctrine. Be very, very careful, he says, to guide and guard the people that are entrusted to you from the external threats. And for just a moment here, I just, it just comes to me right now. This might be one or two of you today that needs to hear this. Because some of you were traumatized, not by something evil out there, but by something evil right in your own family what somebody did to you or said to you. You need help with that. You need us to pray for you about that. You need you have questions about that. Like, I, I've been carrying this burden for 15, 20, 30, 40 years. Let's talk about that. Write me a note on that connection card they talked to you about. But it's fascinating when he says guard, he says guide and guard, feed and lead. 
do you see what he says? Before he says guard the flock, you know what he says? Guard yourself. If you're going to be any good to anybody as a leader, you've got to take care of yourself and make sure that you're fed, to make sure that you're nurtured. You make sure, hmm, the scriptures are going to tell us in the book of Jeremiah, I don't have the reference there because I just thought of it later this, uh, earlier today. It says this, your heart, the hearts of people are not beautiful, amazing, unflawed, just fulfill your potential. It says the heart of man, hearts of men and women are, are, are flawed, deceitful, and not just wicked, but desperately wicked. Which is why then, in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, Solomon puts us together for his sons who are going to be the future kings of Israel. And in Proverbs four twenty-three, he says this, above all else, he says, above everything else I've told you about how to lead well and to get advice and counsel, how to do money and sex and all that. Stuff. Above all else, he says, guard your heart. Rebecca Robinson, who's standing right back there right now, as our kids been uh, director here, and she's coined this phrase years ago. She's like a prophet here. It's like this little phrase that says, lead yourself. Sometimes you have to take care of yourself. You can't just like, well, somebody should be feeding me. and taking. If you're a leader, sometimes you have to take care of yourself. And lead yourself and make sure you're guarding your heart. So, we've talked about who we are. Characters of leaders. Humility, compassion and care, courage, perseverance, focus, determination, doing your job, all that. What we do, we guide and guard, we feed and lead And then we need some perspective. It's not just who we are and what we do, we how we see. This idea of perspective on this. And Paul says in verse 32, And now I entrust you to God, and the message of his grace is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. This is the idea, write this word down, stewardship. Stewardship. Recognizing, recognizing, That my children, my spouse, they talked about this at the men's gathering here uh, Friday night, last night, about what women really want. And this beautiful, honest discussion. Check out our website. It's going to be posted on our YouTube channels and stuff like that. But, but at one point, they talked about the idea when they wrapped it up. Whoever you're leading, they're not ultimately yours. They've been entrusted to you by God. And so Paul goes, look, I've worked hard. I've endured a lot of stuff. I've had courage and determination, perseverance. But you know what he knows? Ultimately, you're not mine. Ultimately, you belong to God. So at some point you go, I'm gonna, this is not going to be lazy. I'm not going to sit back and go, I just entrust it to God and I'll just sit back and watch Netflix for 15 hours a day. No, we do. We work hard like crazy. Here's what stewardship means. Stewardship means for all of us out there, I'm the leader of the pack in some of this, uh, control freak weirdos. Out there, me. Just ask people who work here and who've served on leadership teams with me. I'm a disaster when it comes to like do more and be more and come on and control everything and micromanage. I'll micromanage every single thing in the whole. I'll pick the color of the baseboards and the color of the cut of the miter. It's, I'm ridiculous. Stewardship is you work hard, 
You do all you can. And then you leave it and you entrust it to God. And then you go on a date or take a nap. Because you go, it's not all up to me. Because if, if you think it's all up to you, if you don't get stewardship, <laughs> you're going to take too much credit and too much blame. When your kids are great, you go, look what great parents we are. <laughs> and then you'll have the one, that 21 years old, that breaks your heart. And you go, wow. What a... Or when you have the one that breaks your heart, you think, oh, it's all my fault. No, you don't take too much credit or too much blame. Right? Ultimately, this is God's. I'm going to do everything he's assigned me to do and trust them into his care. How we see. And then, <laughs> this is the stuff. You'll see there on your notes, I think it says the not-so-secret sauce. Back in the day, there was a thing uh, where they had the secret sauce on various hamburgers. Well, what made that so good? And nobody would tell you it was the secret sauce. Really, it's Thousand Island dressing. But that's a different talk for a different day. Um, the secret sauce. He talks about it in verses 19 to 21, where he talks about you saw how I did this with humility. You saw me with my care. You saw me with tears. You saw how I didn't shrink back. You saw, you saw, you saw. Look what he says here in verse 33. I have never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and have been a constant example, example, under, underline, highlight that in your Bible's example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the Lord, words of the Lord Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. The secret sauce is this. If you want to have influence and make a difference with your kids, with your company, the secret sauce is, is this, that it needs to be seen, not just spoken. And I'm telling you, you guys have been, to, right? You've been to the seminars, your company on servant leadership, and the guy who's leading the thing is a disaster. You've got, I'm telling you, it's your kids. Some of you grew up in homes like this, None of you are parents like this now because you're, you're better. You learn from your disaster parents. Where mom and dad said one thing, you know, dad's going, don't blankety blank cuss in the house. Like, wait, what? And anger and rage, all that stuff. So they talked a good game, but it never matched up. Um, Paul's going to tell us the idea of leadership by example is the secret sauce. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says this, follow me. If you want to know what it means to be a Christian, to be a leader, just follow me. But he says, as I follow Christ. So I'm not following Christ, reject it. But as I follow Christ, follow me. Because some of the people need to see it, not just be instructed about it. And the secret sauce is this. I'm going to give you two little sound bites here. Hopefully it will land like a splinter in your mind. Here it is. Instruction is implemented when it's illustrated. I made that up out with this, but that's pretty good. Instruction is implemented when it's illustrated. And then <laughs> example is far more important than education. I'm not saying education isn't important and instruction isn't important. But I'm telling you, you will change your company, you will change your family if you just start doing what you're telling everybody else to do. But people all the time, I get this all the time from people here at Crosspoint, usually people that are leaving the church <laughs> who are frustrated because we don't, we need more. We need to move on from the milk of the word and get into the meat of the word and doctrine and theology and all that stuff is great. And my whole deal is, well, when you start obeying the 10 things you already know, we'll start talking about the 10 things you don't know. All the deeper secret, deep stuff of the Bible. Because I think people need to be reminded more than they need to be instructed and they need to see it. 
not just have it spoken to them. Leadership lessons on a beach. Paul chatting with these guys who are leaders, they've been leaders for about 10 minutes because the church just got started three years ago. They're, they're brand new. They're not some crazy team where they've been Christians for years and years. Lays out what it means to lead and has all kinds of application for us. I hope this is helpful to you, dads, moms, pastors, priests, plumbers, politicians, police officers, and I can't think of any more words. Start with P, but right now the band's going to come up. We take some time every time we gather here to do some songs at the end to let this not just be a message you hear and then go, let's sing one song and wrap up. Let this sink into your heart. Because what we did today was a bit like going to, we could have actually done a whole series on every single one of those qualities. But we've been in Acts too long already. Well, not too long. It's the Bible. You can't say that. <laughs> but we could honestly. So today was like, like when you get to a buffet, it's like, well, I can't eat everything on the buffet. But I can take that piece and that thing and that thing. And then maybe let this plant in my soul a little bit and go, okay, let's go take a look at that again and see what's some stuff where I need to make some major adjustments on. And then what's some stuff you could, should be, some of you need to be genuinely encouraged tonight to go, I'm not a perfect leader. Trust me, Luke would tell you Paul was not a perfect leader. But we're not talking about perfect. But I've, you'd be encouraged tonight that I'm doing a lot of this. Okay, I'm sure I got some growth to do. And then there might be just some minor tweaks. And sometimes what happens with us is we just need, hmm, that wasn't a, a you know, like a kick in the butt, like, come on, get going. It's more like just a little in the side maybe tonight. And so whatever God speaks to you about, hope you take it. We're going to let this sit in your heart and soul. We're going to sing some songs to Jesus about Jesus. Our prayer team is in the back of the house. And if you need prayer about anything that you're going through right here, right now, uh, the lights are going to go down here in just a bit and you can make your way back there and let people just pray for you. That was awesome. Look at that cube. Boom, just like that. We also have communion available in the four corners of the room. Communion is just simply bread and juice. It symbolizes the body and the blood of Jesus. And Jesus, on the night before he was betrayed and then crucified, tells his early followers, who then passed on to us, he says, I want you to remember me. And he doesn't give us a crazy elaborate ritual, secrets, you know, some kind of crazy, weird mumbo jumbo stuff to do. He says, this bread and this juice, this bread and this wine, symbols of the most important thing in your life, my body and my blood that's about to be hung on a cross to save you. And this is the ultimate example of what it means to serve, to be people of humility, of Jesus fighting for the back of the line, going all the way to a criminal's death on a cross. And one quick thing here to wrap it up, and we're going to sing and receive communion and pray, is this. In the leadership world right now, go Google it sometime and find out all the books that are either titled or subtitled Servant Leadership. And it's a great concept, the idea of let's be servant leaders. But you know what Jesus told us? He did not call you to be a servant leader. You know what he called you to be? A servant. Just serve. So Jesus today, a lot of different stuff we talked about here today. Whatever needs to land on each particular person's heart and soul, by your spirit, take your word and make it come alive for them. God, convict where we need to be convicted. 
encourage us where we need to be encouraged uh, in what it means to be the kind of leaders that people are dying for in the world we live in.